0: Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Blanca Maiao, who's a product manager of data platforms, and Pablo Alvarez Doval, who's the lead of data platforms and principal data architect at the consulting company Plain Concepts. So some key takeaways and thoughts from Pablo and Blanca's point of view. I'm combining both of what they said into one single point of view to make it a little easier. So number one, it's easy to fall into adding fit for purpose capabilities to your data platform, but don't stay focused on managing your platform as a product. All aspects of it have life cycles and you can't try to fit every use case, especially before there is a need. Number two, if transformation, especially data transformation, is not tied to the business strategy, that is a major recipe for failure you likely won't deliver good business outcomes. Number three, quote unquote, beware the proof of concept. Too many organizations and groups try to do a proof without the actual concept. What are you trying to prove and how will you decide, measure, if you actually proved it? And what happens if you do prove it or you don't prove it? What are next steps? Those all need to be figured out ahead of time. And if you're going to go ahead either way, why do a proof of concept? Number four, you can have everything necessary for a data initiative to succeed lined up, the sponsors, the will, the budget, etc and still fail. Nothing is 100%. Number five, three common data initiative failure modes would be the first focusing only on the technology aspect and not does it meet needs and can we maintain and pay for it? The second, only treating it as an urgent tactical needs instead of playing into the broader data strategy. And the third, not considering how to actually do change management. So those are, again, some failure modes. Number six, your platform is a product too. Data as a product isn't just about mesh data products. Think about capability lifecycle and how you communicate upcoming changes, especially deprecation and help users to migrate to new capabilities. Number seven, acclimatize people to change and evolution. This is something that's really was crystallized a a few episodes ago, but this keeps coming up. Most people in data aren't good with, or at least aren't used to, evolution, iteration, change, and preparing for said evolution because the cost of change for data has been so high. People just haven't done that. So we need to get them ready to be prepared and to think about it. Number eight, the most likely places to find reusability in your platform will be the mechanisms around data product production and maintenance. You know, the lineage, CICD, data quality monitoring, security and compliance, etc. Lastly, reuse is crucial for a data platform. Look to have data transformation and storage reuse, of course, but also really focus on providing templates and then let users create their own templates. The transformations and handling data don't need to be overly exposed to the users. OK, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay. Very excited for today's episode. I've got Blanca Mayayo who is the product manager of data platforms. And I've got Pablo Alvarez-Doval, who's the lead of the platform and principal data architects at Plain Concepts. And we're going to be talking about a couple of different things. They, they've got an interesting story because They were doing um, a lot more consulting work and started to see, you know, had started to build out kind of a reference architecture and platform, and they started to see more and more um, how difficult it can be and that trying to do that over and over inside every uh, client is going to be difficult. So they're kind of heading more into uh, a product direction around it. But So we're going to talk about... (laughs) Some uh, things that they've learned around building a platform <laughs> and how other people can can think about that. Some of the the anti patterns and things to help others prevent their mistakes and things like that. And that too much in this space, especially around data mesh, people are trying to fix things with data or with uh, technology instead of actually address their challenges with the technology. And that it's not the, the, the thing that fixes everything. It's much more, um, the thing that helps you to actually address what's coming up. So with that, uh, I would love to, to turn it over to you two, to kind of give a little bit of an introduction to yourself. Uh, Blanca, do you want to start with, uh, your. Sure. Scott.
2: Yes, sure. Uh, so yeah. Th- thanks a lot, uh, Scott, for inviting us, for sharing our, our journey. So far, and I'm really excited for, for this conversation. Uh, yeah, I'm currently product manager at at Plain Concepts, um, building our, our product. But in the past, I've held several leadership positions, uh, both on the engineering side, more kind of traditional software engineering side. And then I started to move to transition more towards data and, and data products and uh, across different industries like telco, retail, consumer goods, and so on.
1: Thanks, Scott, for having us here. My name, as you just said, is Pablo Alvarez, and I am leading our Citra initiative at Plain Concepts, uh, which you uh, very rightly described as uh, an internal initiative that kind of spun into into life, into a product cycle. Uh, I'm. Coming mostly from a pure technical background, both uh, traditional development and data background, uh, but may roll we'll both a little bit over the years for um, a little bit of uh, consulting, not just the development side. So I've been lucky enough to to help uh, quite a few of our customers in different industries in implementing not just their data platforms and the tech, but also guiding them through the initial strategy steps, uh, which has also provided a lot of insights for, for us for building the product and, and a very, very rich personal experience as well. So, yeah, we could say it's a little bit of a mix between the purely technical and, you know, more business side.
0: Yeah. And, and I think uh, an interesting place that we can jump off into is what what about what you've learned building the platform. A lot of what we're hearing from people coming on, there's more and more people who are, who are literally saying that their platform has moved further and further away from technology and is more and more about reducing just straight up friction and ways of working. And that the point of it is to make it so that onboarding is easier, but that's when I've had the conversations, it feels like it's a little bit, um, Customize, or it's a a bit of uh each organization is so different in their ways of working around what the developers expect so i would love to kind of learn talk to you about what you've learned from from building that uh, these different platforms and and helping out these different customers and then how can you abstract that into a platform (laughs) so that you can actually serve multiple people so i think let's start with um like what What were the big challenges that you were trying to tackle first and, and kind of some of the learnings. And I'll just pepper in questions as, as you're saying, uh, lots of interesting things as we're going down the,
1: the path to that. Blanca, do you want to start? Do you want me to, to start on this one? Yeah.
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, I have. Um, I, I I like to to think about this uh, from the perspective uh, over the past years because we've been working with uh, customers and building as as uh, you mentioned this reference architecture for several years. And it has happened more or less uh, the same that we are seeing also on a macro level, right? For for in the industry um, whatsoever, like there was first a diverging phase where we tried to create use cases for customers in not really in a product mindset, but really trying to do it fit for, for, for purpose, projects <laughs> and for our customers. Uh, and then we were basically building or creating new solutions and new and new and new solutions arose. Um, Oh, then this need for decentralization, for um, working with customers or clients in different domains, uh, appeared, which posed more needs, again, to customize, to split, to divide. And then after that, uh, we realized that we needed to start the convergence phase, okay? So after this diverting phase, we had to go to this um, converting phase. And this, uh, for this, basically, we have applied the two big principles that... Um, Samak very well uh, explains and outlines in, in in her in her book and and it's uh, the one about pl- product thinking and the one about platform thinking. So especially how to uh, start to create some boundaries of what we are building, how to really uh, use re- reusability, how to really start with the why before just uh, bluntly putting functionality one on top of the other, right? Um, So I think I like to think about our journey on this sense, okay, of these two phases, more or less. And I think we are definitely in this converting phase, but of course, at the same time, trying to build and accompany our customers with new uh, business use cases, of course.
1: Yeah, if I I may. Uh, I think there is uh, something very interesting in in also in, in what, Blanca just mentioned, which I think, taken from the perspective of where we were six years ago when we started with the with the beginnings of the platform to to where we are now, uh, it uh, it is quite interesting. It's the fact that at some point we had to start deciding what features we didn't really want to have because we built them in the first place uh, just to solve very specific challenges for very specific customers. We were running in a little bit of a tactical mode. Yes, we had this idea that I think a lot of different um, um, consulting companies and and service providers um, had, which is, okay, let's build this reference architecture and let's make a lot of accelerators and modules that can allow us to replicate this. But at some point we realized that um this was creating this divergence that that Blanca is is talking about we were just focusing on on increasing the, the breadth of the platform in a sense uh, and then we really needed to start filtering out what's really needed for the goals we had and i think and blanca i think you might uh, also have a very powerful vision from the from your roadmap management uh, role. But I think one of the key challenges we had, especially over the last two years, was deciding what really works towards the vision of uh, having all the customers running the same platform, the same basics, but empowering them to build the data products on top of that. And it's definitely more complex than it seems because there's a lot of things that might come as independent requirements from customer. For very, very, very tactical thing that, let's be honest, you need to tackle because they are customers, but they may not align one hundred percent with the platform. So there comes a little bit of a challenge there. Just wanted to point out that because I think that was that was implied on on, on Blanca's point, and it really—it's
0: a lot about trade-offs.
1: Makes me think about a, a certain set of stories. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think that point of this is something that. Jamak has kind of talked about and, and a lot of people who are building out their platform have talked about of your platform, you know, provides affordances. It provides capabilities. It, it can't have a hundred percent coverage because if it does, it's just a nightmare to build, maintain and use. And so when people need to go outside of it, you have extensibility, right? So that people can, actually have it interact right it's not such in such a tight box that um nothing can go in and out it is about um making that a uh something that that people can leverage the parts that are going to be useful to them and you want to encourage them and you want to extract from them why aren't they doing it for like what what capabilities do they need you need that back and forth communication you don't want somebody just going and creating shadow IT for the sake of shadow IT but sometimes that shadow IT is necessary because okay this team needs to run this thing at you know they need a um you know 500 node spark cluster you're you know you're uh, platform may not be able to support something that crazy, or they, they need to be able to spin it up in, in minutes and spin it back down. And that, you know, scale out, scale up, scale down. You're just like, especially if you're running it in your own AWS account or whatever, <laughs> it, it can cause all sorts of havoc to support that for multiple customers. So I would love to, to hear about what, like, I, I want to get into the reuse because I think that's the thing that's the most helpful for people of like identifying and then abstracting so that you you can find the patterns. But I would love to start with, Pablo, something you said about what do we not want to support? What do we want to remove? Like, how have you found those things? And then how do you communicate that as well? Where <laughs> somebody said, but I was using this thing and you're telling me it's going away. I, I'd love to, to understand identification and then communication around it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I was just going to to share uh, what I think is one of the several instances where we had an, an scenario like that. So as I mentioned, we have been running this platform for quite a long time already. Uh, it's been more than six years. And at the beginning, well, it, it has suffered a lot of, let's just say that it has suffered a lot of technical transformations and evolution. Back when we started, it was all based on, on Hadoop clusters, and now we're running DataBricks, so you can imagine there has been a lot of of transition uh, of transition. And one of the requirements that a couple of companies from from finance asked us at the beginning, uh, quite a few years ago, was to enable ciphering and encryption at risk, which was not supported by default in h-insight not in the initial versions of of DataBricks. Now it came a moment where we were supporting that as a particular piece. Uh, when there were other commercial solutions and open source solutions available built on top of that. So even just being precise enough with the messaging to the customers of saying, yes, you have invested in building this because this was not an option uh, back then and you were using our solution, but now it makes sense to rely on the solution of of the product, the underlying product or this technology, this open source technology it takes a little bit of, you know, of skills in communicating why we are making this roadmap change, where we are deprecating a feature but providing an alternative feature for that. Similar to that, we are trying as much as possible always to rely on, on as many reputable uh, established open source projects and initiatives. So for testing, we had also a functionality, a a system for implementing the testing uh, of the data and validations of the data as they came into the platform. But, you know, technology is evolving. Fantastic products come uh, every day. And we've seen this amazing piece of software, which is great expectations. And we just said, okay, let's bring it in into the platform. Let's use it, but let's see how we can make this uh, fit well to the customers that are already using our previous solution because we had to f- fill the gap that was in the in the technology somehow. And it's interesting because, and, and Blanca probably will, will be able to, to give us more details into this because it's day-to-day, but we don't just have to support our customers, our end customers and their development teams, but we also have to support the development teams of the customers and in some cases our partners, which are also building on top of the, of the platform. So it creates a lot of challenges in terms of communicating what we want to have, of doing a little bit of, in certain aspects, doing a little bit of a committee-based steering mechanism. So we ensure that we are not impacting severely any of these partners or, or customers. But at the same time, we have to do a little bit of an act of convincing them, of saying, yeah, but understand that this technology is better for us or the roadmap is better, it's going to be more stable or whatever. And these are just the easy bits. We added the specific bits that can be replaced by an existing technology, whether it's open source or not. But in some cases, very minimal cases, but in some cases, back 10 years ago, we decided a route that was not the right route and we need to change direction. And at some point you have customers going for that route. So you have to start telling them, yeah, maybe we are going to be changing this. This is not nothing new. This is fairly standard for any product-based company, but for us, it's new because again, our background is not from a product uh, from a product company, but more from the consulting services part. So, Blanca, maybe you have a lot more of feedback on this.
2: Yeah, I, I would also, yeah, I would also add. Also, one what I, what I perceive myself as one of the big failure modes of any kind of big change uh, transformation initiative. Is that it's not considered as a business strategic initiative? Uh, sometimes and, and, and sometimes we we know when this is happening because they approach to us with a very tactical um, KPI or a very tactical um, proposal for a specific use case. Okay, um, or maybe even not even that, not even because of a tactical uh, new solution, but just. Uh, um, urgent need because uh, one license from a vendor is, for example, expiring in a few months. Okay. So when we detect these kind of things, we know that we need to do um, heavy work with uh, our customers to let them understand that our platform is, um, is built to be a strategic platform for the longer term, is built to be future-proof, is built to be extensible and to allow all this decentralization and all this scaling up in this uh, ordered way. Um, so, so basically, in, in that sense, we sometimes need to really dig deeper into the why they want X feature because sometimes they approach to us say, okay, I want, I don't know, Cosmos DB database for this use case. But then we need to dig really deeper. Why? What do, what do you really want to achieve here? Uh, what else do you want to achieve? Um, not let them out. Uh, of that specific use case and think really beyond that. And this is a uh, heavy work that we need to do of communicating with our uh, customers here and mostly stakeholders in the customers. This is also another important distinction, not anyone in the company, but you know, important stakeholders to really make sure that they understand b- our collaboration mode that they will be co-creators of this future-proof platform with us, and that sometimes we will need to take tough decisions and some very tactical things. We will need to find another approach that it maybe is not uh, supported via the, the full, uh, you know, standard track. maybe we can find other alternatives for implementing this. But I think it's a really a way of or, or a matter of finding the. Proper governance, so to say, internally to say, okay, this is how we are w- going to work with this customer. Even this is, we cannot really work with this customer because we are completely misaligned in this sense, and this uh, platform is not going to uh, fit their purpose by any means.
0: One question I would have then is it, it sounds like, from a lot of what you're saying, in most cases, you're not removing a capability as much as maybe replacing or, or saying, hey, we'll, we'll help you bring in and, and use this other thing um, versus just kind of fully sunsetting a capability. Um, is that because, I mean, I, I think for internal customers, we might have um, a little bit more leeway to be like, hey, we've just got to cut this off. But um, the, other, the other question about that is um, when you think about these, communicating these changes, you know, having the software engineering background, right? You are used to there being changes like microservices and things like that. There's changes. People aren't used to that in data, right? People aren't used to uh, saying, hey, this thing isn't serving our needs anymore. So we need to to evolve it, not, okay, we're going to completely replace this thing. We need to evolve it to get to where it needs to go. So how, how have you, um, worked with them on that, that actual replacing and how have you worked on the communication and has that been difficult to to get people kind of in the mindset of, oh, I need to actually be, uh, flexible and, you know, have some agility around this. If I actually want to be scalable and stay competitive. Yeah. Uh, that's a,
1: very, very, very good point, uh, Scott, here, because um, I think it really uh, connects with one of our biggest pain points uh, as, a, as a company and as a product. Um, first of all, as Blanca said uh, before, uh, we always strive to, to work in a strategic projects in something that it's uh, really going to impact the company. And and we are fortunate that we have a lot of success stories in, in, in very different industries, and we have learned from them good stories and how things work when they work correctly. But we also have a lot of uh, scenarios where they haven't gone so well. And I have one that reflects very well on, on that exact uh, scenario where the data teams normally are not Expecting a replacement in technology, and even are very reluctant in the evolutionary uh, changes to the technology. Um, Obviously, (laughs) the names will be uh, will be uh, kept uh, in the dark. But uh, one very very large customer of us, one of our biggest customers in terms of of business with them, and they are fantastic customer. uh, They are working on the on the law sector on the on their law firm, and they had this uh, very interesting idea of building. Um, certain low cases as a product, as a, as a service uh, on part of the platform. So they wanted to build a data product that was running this specific uh Cases in this particular case, class actions. So it was the concept of a class action as a service. So we engaged uh, with this company at a very, very good level, C-level uh, executive. So we had the right connections. We had uh, the right engagement in terms of being able to go to the company, do knowledge transfer sessions, keep the people engaged, and we were. We just started working on the on the project. So we had the initiative with the platform with the data products connected on top of it for building this this solution. And the only team that was reluctant to the change, that didn't really understand the needs for the the, um, new model of deploying applications, of uh, building and deploying the changes, the change management cycle, Uh, the new ways of working in general, was precisely the data team. Uh, And they were extremely... Uh, reluctant to the change. And it's not by any means these teams fault because this we have seen over and over. It's a normal traction issue on, on data teams, which I think it's perfectly understandable for all of us and I'm myself in that group who have been uh, there. But I think it really reflected on the on one of the main tenants we have, which is you cannot do this kind of projects if you don't have the whole company and the whole all the teams, even the non-technical teams, went together and understanding what you are building, what you are doing, what's, what's the reason of this change. In this particular case, we had the right connections, but there was challenges in making this flow through the organization. And I can mention this particular uh, team, this data team, as let's say a little bit of laggards in terms of understanding the need for the change. But we have seen this in, in, in many other data teams, normally it's data teams. It's funny that, uh, at least from my point of view, that it is the development teams, the traditional software development teams, the ones that understand properly why you are building this kind of architectures, this kind of approach, iterative approach, this kind of governance models for for change management, etc. cetera, um, than the more traditional data teams. So I fully agree with you. Unfortunately, I don't have any kind of, of uh, uh, good advice on this because it just happens from time to time so you go to a customer where everything is going perfectly fine again right connections right engagement and for whatever reason it just doesn't happen and it's a challenge you have to work and in, from our point of view it's something that we cannot really do we it really needs to come from the company from from the own company we can support them we can just offer you know to be their guide do as many knowledge transfer sessions, try to inspire, but in the end, it really needs to come from the company.
2: Sure. Yeah, I I would just like to add to what you mentioned uh, and and Pablo mentioned about this, well, uh, this profile that is frequently found, especially coming from the most traditional part of data, um, more reluctant to changes, not so used to, you know, engineering, like modern engineering practices cross cutting concerns around software engineering. I believe, personally, Uh, I've been also managing uh, big uh, initiatives, for example, of operational excellence, not Directly related to, to intensive data usage, and I think there's a big, big, big parallelism in both things. But well, apart from that, I would like also to call out about the other side of the spectrum. So f- sometimes, for example, we go to uh, to a customer, and um, usually in this case, the customers really want to to do something big, and they know they are uh, posing this as a really um, business big challenge with big, you know change management and so, on, and so on and support from executives. But then you have, for example, a, a team of very skilled um, architects, uh, software architects or, or, you know, of engineers that they have their own set of technologies that they would like to explore. So they see like a way to say, okay, now I, I, I'm going to try this bleeding edge technologies because this is a big initiative. And then it's sometimes it's really difficult to make them understand that uh, when working with a platform, you really, and especially a platform that we package, it's a, even a higher level of abstraction because we package that platform so that they ad- the customers can administer the, the platforms themselves. We need to really be very strict with, you know, proven technologies, um, stable um, technologies and so on. And, and even technologies that are really easy to manage. Like for example, do we prefer orchestration and the need to have uh, or container orchestration and the need to have very experts uh, administering that, or shall we go to managed services, cloud managed services that are much easy to much easier to operate in the end with uh, you know much less expertise? And then there's this, I would say, clash of egos. <laughs> So to say, in, in technology, because, and especially the data world has so filled in with, you know, new technologies every week, um, driven a, with a, through a lot of hype sometimes, okay, about, okay, this is the latest technology, although all the rest are dead. So all this kind of um, mindset, uh, sometimes we are seeing that it, this is also impacting and this is being an obstacle to really um, buying in. Uh, the need to create a, a common, self-shared platform with reuse, all these kind of things, with all these principles, so that we can really accelerate on the time to market to really deliver data products. Uh, so I, I can see both sides of the of the spectrum, and neither of them. Uh, I think we we need to find uh, the right balance of curious developers, curious um, people, engineers that really want to uh, test new things, risk a little bit because they know they are going to gain, uh, but at the same time, very conscious of what it takes with a, a, a strong product mindset as well of what it takes to really build a product and maintain that.
0: Yeah, if, if we could talk about um, head into identifying again reuse because one of the things that I'm, I'm finding is uh, when I talk to people that if they started to go with the most kind of data mature teams, um, that they build a, a platform that isn't actually usable by, <laughs> you know, kind of the, the vast majority of people. Um, but if you start with the really, really legacy teams, then are you trying to do all the maturity through the, the platform side instead of actually upskilling and training, which you'd rather do that instead of trying to solve for, you know, can, can my dog come on and use your platform? That's probably not the best use case, right? Right. Um, she's just going to, I tried to teach her how to use buttons to communicate and stuff. And she just would spam the buttons because it meant that she got attention. So like, I, I don't <laughs> think she'd be that good at, at using your platform. But um, like, how do we start to to find those patterns of like, what are the identifiers that you see and how do you then abstract them away to, to do exactly what you talked about earlier of you were kind of doing things in project mode of i'm trying to solve this boxed problem instead of i'm trying to solve this this problem that comes up repeatedly and trying to solve it you know in a way that is applicable to everybody and that isn't you know a well we're going to give you 30% of what you want and that's considered solved versus can we cover most of what people want and if there are specific needs we can Go outside the platform, or we can we can bring in specific things for that. So, like that identifying reuse, I haven't heard anybody kind of give really good signals of what is the thing. Like, how do you abstract away from all the different use cases to find those signals? I think that's a very good question, um,
1: and unfortunately, I don't have a very good answer for it. Let me let me clarify. Um, as I told you we started this project kind of organically. Uh, so what we had in mind initially uh, was to create something that would automate the, the main activities that were constantly, that we were seeing or perceiving that were constantly uh, disregarded on when creating data products. And with that, I mean, ensuring that all the data products had the same uh, deployment model that had proper CICD, uh, that all the um, data products had uh, the same way of treating the credentials and secrets, etc. that all data products could use the same mechanism for lineage tracking for glossary of terms, that all the data products had same cost attribution. So we just built something, uh, being honest, that worked for us. Uh, And again, remember that this was initially just an accelerator uh, for projects built from our company's point of view by other teams in our company, but just by our company. So that was the kind of the layer one of reuse. We wanted to ensure that we had a mechanism that allowed uh, any of either our engineers or the customer engineers wanting to create a proof of concept they could create it, making sure that it was everything created in the same way, same approach, in a secure fashion uh, with the same governance layers, et cetera. But that was kind of too technical. The second layer of reuse um, came with templatization. So we use templatization a lot, and Blanca probably will give you a lot more of details uh, from that than I, ca- that I could give you. But the main idea is we have templates for the, what we call the data products, the client applications, which is our, our term for data products. And these templates uh, encapsulate how they will be created, what we are going to be creating and what they will be doing. So for example, and I will not get into the details, but uh, we're just looking for a way of encapsulating. Okay, I want to create a BI application. And I don't care if it's a finance, HR, operations. I just want a BI application and I can install it several times. And just by configuration, select what I want to have in, this, in that application and the platform would move the data around, create, if it's Power BI, the workspaces, whatever. Then we identify other scena- scenarios. So we identified a lot of appetite for uh, knowledge uh, mining. So we built a template for building with more knowledge mining models, connected as well to the, to the core of the platform. And we started creating a catalog. And then the third, kind of layer for this reuse came when we shared this, not just the catalog of templates, but the SDK, the software development kit, we used to create this to the customers. And then the customers can create their own templates that they are going to then to reuse. Remember when I was talking about the the class action as a service, this this particular product, this customer of us implemented on, the, on their platform or on their instance of the platform? Well, they did that, they created using the SDK there are specific templates, so they could instance several several uh, instances of this of this uh, data product, but every one of them has the same um, lineage capabilities, cost attribution. So it's in the end, it's all these technical concepts that we are encapsulating, reusing, etc. So this properly, even though we are trying to little by little go up in the layer of abstraction. It's still pretty much a very technical platform, and what we try to solve, um, I think, what we achieve to solve the most is the technical reutilization. So, Blanca, maybe you have more details to to bring here. But
2: yeah, maybe not on the on the technical side, just not to to go too too deep into that. But um, what what Pablo is mentioning also has had heavy implications in even the way we are currently organized as inside the company, okay, because. Um, this mentality, as I mentioned, this mindset of product reusability, sustainability, platform, all this kind of X thinking um, requires the proper mindset on people. And uh, so we used to work so that we had the, the central team working on the platform and then different teams across the company as part of professional services working for um, so building these data products um, together with the platform. We even had a very open... Uh, development approach to, so that even these teams could open pull requests to our platform and to improve the capabilities, okay? In case we didn't have the capacity I, from the platform, uh, the, the capacity was not there. But what uh, really was demonstrated is that only the people with the right mindset and the right uh, skills and um, really the intention to to learn uh, about, technically about the platform and to take these trade-offs about to use the, this technology versus to stick to what the, the platform is reusing is very, very important and I, and cannot be understated. And somehow we, we learned it uh, along our way. And we then really invested a lot internally in our team in onboarding, upskilling team members, um, making sure people you know, rotate from projects to product so that they all both have uh, the perspective of the other. Uh, okay, when building, when developing things, and this is something that is, I, I would say, is one of the biggest learnings, uh, at least from the perspective of building the the product as as a an initial as an in, initial uh, consulting or professional services company.
1: Yeah, if if I may add something to this, which I think is is interesting, is we are in a little bit of a um, peculiar. A scenario here because we are building a product that is deployed and is owned by the customers uh, so it's their data platform once it's deployed on their um Azure environment is their data platform but it has a certain set of rules because if you want to keep it updated etc well it needs to be kept supported and this creates an interesting challenge which at some point it has well been a decision factor whether uh, a specific prospect really wanted or, or was able to to use our platform or not, which is the perception on their technical and engineering teams. So uh, and to put a very simple example, but this happened quite a few times already. Um, imagine we go to a customer, they have the appetite to be to have this acceleration, to, to have this on their on their on their environment, to have uh, the, the data platform, and they want our help. But As Blanca was saying uh, a couple of minutes ago, um, this doesn't fully align with the set of technologies that the chief enterprise architect or the data team wants to use or at a higher level in the organization, some key individuals from a technical point of view. That might create a challenge because um, obviously from our point of view, as much as we wanted to, to help them and support them, the... Platform at this stage, it is a product, it is what it is, and it cannot be amended or made flexible. And it has created some scenarios in which the platform, in some cases, has been um, approved and deployed on customers because they really saw the value and the acceleration and they uh, could overcome some problems they had with, in many cases, with previous implementations, in-house implementations of the platform. But then you have to be extremely careful and, and understanding and, and dedicate a lot of time uh, to nurture the relationship with, uh,
0: with the... So sorry about that audio issue there. Um, hopefully in, in post you're hearing this and that the editing was flawless and that it was perfect. But uh, apologies if there's a little bit of a break here. But um, so I, I think this could actually be a good transition point into talking about kind of anti-patterns. One one thing we talked about in the pre-call was trying to treat technology as if it's the thing that solves the challenge or the, the problems. But uh, what if somebody out there is building their own data platform, you've learned you've done you've gone down you said you've gone down some paths that weren't exactly what you would choose if you were able to do that again everybody has that but like what what are the anti patterns or what are the the things that you would tell people to hopefully avoid or to keep an eye out for or what are the signals that you're you're that you've already hit an anti pattern and that <laughs> you don't exactly know it yet but it's going to come to 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 haunt you and you know, six months time or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe not so much on anti patterns but typical failure modes, okay? Because I think we, we see a lot of manifestations of deeper problems. We all know the typical problem of uh, investment that is not uh, properly, you know, uh, maintained over time. Therefore, the initiative dies. Um, lack of collaboration between different teams, Difficulties in maintaining the, the current landscape or too much complication, lack of alignment with business. All these in the end for me are just manifestations of deeper problems. And for me, I would crystallize maybe in three kind of failure modes generally. Um, for me, one of them we discussed already, which is basically considering um, a data strategy uh, initiative as purely from the technic- technological point of view. So it's not just about um uncorrelated OKRs with no vision and just uh, focused on the specific uh, technology. Um, also, is not only about DX technologies, like, for example, the bleeding edge technologies on data. It's also about technologies, uh, cross-cutting concerns, technologies that are needed absolutely a must for any kind of uh, software initiative as well. Uh, I'm speaking here about you know, operational excellence in general uh, from cost management to um, observability, deployability, maintainability, and and so on. Okay. So, this would be for me the the first failure mode. Then the the second is basically considering such a change as something that is a short-term objective, okay, or um, an urgent tactical need. Okay. So, uh, we mentioned most of the times. Um, sometimes they approach to us because, well, a license with uh, with an ex-vendor is expiring soon, so we need to. they need somehow to replace that. Okay, no, this is just a tactical objective, but it needs to have a proper vision, and it's a vision that should be really um, looking forward in the future, planned, carefully aligned, and so on. Um, and then for me, the third failure mode is basically not considering change management at all. Uh, most of these initiatives as well, they are just... Okay, we will replace this by this by this date. Um, and again, speaking or very focused around specific technologies or specific pieces of infrastructure. And yeah, there's here there's all that is related basically to managing change properly. Change is not, um, you know, change is not pushed. Change needs communicated. So basically, urgency needs to, to, to communicate it, to start change. You need to consider the incentives. In the first phase, you need to get early wins. You need to validate those. And once you get a proper mass of adopters, then you can try to to, to start experimenting with decentivizing the use of the common platform, but only then. Okay, not not right at the start. So it, does, it doesn't work like the, this way. So um, I think for me, these are the critical um, failure modes. And I would also add that these failure modes are absolutely nothing um, specific or exclusive from data transformation projects. I've, I've seen exactly the same failure modes, for example, in big uh, operational excellence transformation in, in companies. Actually, um, there are a lot, for me, there are a lot of parallelisms in good and in bad patterns that we want to avoid.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with the these three failure modes that blank is mentioning and going to specific examples and and specific um um as you said anti patterns right uh, I always start with the same one because this is something I see recurringly over and over. And and maybe this is not there is not a lot of value uh, for many of, of the listeners of of, of your postcards got here because most of them they work on their data platform on just one single environment, but even in those cases, I will just say one big thing: beware of the proof of concept as general as as, as the 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 magical word. Right? Uh, we go to many customers, to many companies, uh, in many cases large companies, uh, hand in hand with uh, with other vendors, with providers, with very big companies in in the area uh, wanting to do a proof of concept of a data mesh architecture or a proof of concept of a data platform, of of an internal platform. And as Blanca was saying earlier, you need to have a goal. You need to have to do this for a reason and be part of a plan. If you're starting your journey based on, okay, here you have X uh, budget, for a small proof of concept, let's evaluate the technology and then let's make it grow. You are in so many corners and you don't have a goal. You don't have the, the structure around it, which is not the technical one, which is the the team, the measurement, uh, the, the strategy in a sense. Uh, but I'm not trying to make it sound like the big uppercase strategy. I'm talking about the basics here. And that really, uh, is a double edged sword because uh, we see over and over that customers try to do it. They don't have anything to measure. And then six months down the line, one year down the line, the companies start asking themselves, do we have the need of changing our approach to data products? Do we have the need of building an internal data platform? And they will look back to that proof of concept that they didn't have uh, the meat to it. And sometimes, even though they are good for evaluating the tech aspects, sometimes they, this smaller proof of concepts, they are more, I think, harmful than beneficial, because they leave this, you know, this advertisement. They are not solving a problem. They don't have any any real objective. So, if you ask me about my number one anti-pattern, is starting with the commercial aspects and starting with this with these smaller engagements. They might. Lead to wrong conclusions, I think.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. I so I think Paul Andrew was the first one who said, "Absolutely, you know, proof of concepts are, are the worst." And and uh, a couple other people have said this. And I think one thing that in a lot of organizations you have to do a proof of concept, right? You're no matter what the if if we all had it where all of our organizations were flexible and understanding and would invest in all of these things. Uh, but what are you trying to prove out are you trying to prove a data set has value great good job are you trying to prove that that you can actually build data products or are you trying to prove out like a minimum viable mesh of that you can actually build out data mesh or that you can do like the data mesh implementation itself can you get the teams aligned can you get them working collaboratively can you get to a certain place and um you know, uh, Sean Kaiser and Gustavo Drakenberg were on and they said, you know, proving out uh, data mesh and getting your first data product out the door, it, it it's about a six month process in most organizations. If you're kind of skimping on some things, you might be able to get it out for, in four months. And for a lot of places, that's not acceptable. There are a lot of people who've come on who said, you can get something out in six to nine weeks, but in a lot of cases, what it is is that they're proving that they can figure out how to create data products and then they start to, to iterate the strategy from there. And that's fine. I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but exactly what you said, uh, um, and kind of, Blanca, exactly what you said about like the data strategy from the purely technical point of view or the, ta- you know, only the tactics instead of why are we doing this? What are we actually trying to achieve if we're doing a proof of concept? We're not doing a proof of concept of data mesh. What is our strategy concept? How does this play into what we're actually trying to do? It's a business because, you know, this is not unless you're you're blessed with just free money to throw at things and just play around and do interesting things like it's it's so crucial. So I think um one question I would have about what both of you just said is how do you assess if you're ready for this, right? Because it's pretty easy to do, Pablo, exactly what you just said of kind of head down a path, throw some money at it, and you weren't ready to actually take advantage of it. You weren't ready to do it. And so you're you're just um, going to create scar tissue if you ever want to actually do data mesh in the future. You know, I keep talking to a bunch of people who say when they they start trying to say data mesh internally, it just creates all this confusion and everybody's bad. So you never even actually mention data mesh to the business folks because it doesn't matter to them. That's that's the manifestation of how you're, that's kind of tactics, right? It is a, a very crucial part of your data strategy, but it isn't the data strategy and your data strategy isn't your business strategy. So like If you if people are out there listening and are like, I want to do data mesh, like, what can you tell them to help them to evaluate if they're if they're ready to do this? Because if we have a bunch of people that run down this path too early, we're just going to have a lot of failures, and that's that's bad for. I mean, we might be able to learn a lot from the anti patterns of what everybody did, (laughs) but it's it's bad because it's it's a lot of people's time and effort and and things wasted.
1: Uh, Yeah, well. First of all, uh, there's a lot of times where we explicitly tell some of potential customers, some prospects, uh, don't go this route. You're not ready yet. Uh, And it's going to save save us problems, save you problems. And it's uh, it's not your time for this or or not even the time. Maybe some cases is not something that is going to solve your problems. Because I think the first thing we need to start always is what are your pain points? Why your current approach, whatever it is. It's not working because every mature organization, they are solving the the challenges one way or another. Maybe they are not efficient or effective at solving them. Maybe it's a matter of budget. Maybe it's a matter of of being able to govern the projects in a way that they are more predictable in the delivery, uh, increasing the quality. So first of all, you need to understand what you're trying to solve. If it's a company that it's, but I've never seen a, a purely greenfield uh, company in terms of data. They are all doing something. So you really need to understand what it is, uh, the challenge. And if there is a tiny little hint that they might benefit benefit from a database approach, the next thing is, okay, tell me about your organization. Tell me about what's your leverage, what's your... What sponsors do we have here? I told you about uh, the, the perfect scenario, the perfect scenario. We had the budget, we had the sponsors, we had engagement, and it wasn't successful or not as successful as we would have liked it to be. Uh, so if you start already with one hand to the back because you don't have the sponsors or you don't have the budget or the company doesn't have the will to do it you're going to be dead in the water. So I think it's uh, the, the first thing is doing a, a honest ex- ex- exercise of understanding the needs, whether you really need to do this or something more tactical, more departmental, etc., And also whether you have the tools and the tools are not technology. And this is throwing stones at, at our own roof. This is uh, because we built the technology, right? But that's not the thing. Uh, that's why we cannot say our technology solves data mesh because that's the less important thing in data mesh. It is... The rest of the of the aspects is the strategy, is the engagement, is the company, is they willing to do it, is they willing to innovate, is the teams. That's the way I see it. And maybe now, Blanca, yeah. <laughs> there was something yeah, at me. I was, <laughs> I,
2: I was thinking about a typical hint as well, um, and it's that it's not a golden rule. Of course, it's not a, a really a, like an algorithm, but um, it, it depends on how the IT department is is driven. So is this. Is there, is the IT department perceived as a cost optimization kind of with a cost optimization driver, or is the IT department really seen as the fuel right hand to marketing to really empower and have the DNA, have data as a DNA in the company? Uh, So I think these are two radical things. Uh, And the other thing is also the approach to product mindset. As well in the companies, because uh, if we are speaking about the typical IT, centralized IT department with very bottom up kind of initiatives, tactical, you will see absolutely no kind of (laughs) product or very rarely product thinking uh, and and in an even less platform. OK, the the term platform may, you know, uh, these guys may like it. But if it's not really well accompanied by really product thinking, why do you have a platform in the first place? And, and what is it helping you for? Um, I think these are very bad smells that you can sense in the, in, when you engage with, with the customers, I think.
0: Yeah, that, that product thinking. I mean, I had uh, Ala Hale on recently. She came from like an actual physical good space. I think even within data, when we start to think about product thinking, we look too much to just software instead of like you know there is an actual cost to production there is a, it's not you know you you really have to think about life cycle up front and you have to think about not only does this solve the problem now but is this going to degrade and you know it's okay to have a patch right when you think about the thing but that there's the communication around the expectations around what <laughs> we're rolling out this new thing. Is it because we just need to get this thing out today? And and that's okay if that's the right strategy. It's not optimal, but nothing is in this world. And so that communication aspect, exactly what you're talking about is, is the organization ready? Do they have the will to actually move away from trying to solve it with technology to solve it with communication? And that, that technology helps them once they've figured out they've addressed or they, they've identified what are the pain points what are the challenges so yeah i'm i'm totally in the the same boat with uh both of you so um so we we've covered uh, a whole lot of different stuff here today but is there anything we we didn't cover or anything that you'd kind of want to uh wrap up the episode in general with
1: uh, it was fantastic for from my point of view it's nothing i would it's no,
2: also nothing on my side. I think we, we covered pretty much everything. We jumped uh, a lot uh, across different topics and sometimes we reinforce some some critical aspects. So I think it will be also clear to the audience.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that's that's what I, I aim for. So, um, And then for the folks out there, I'm sure there are going to be people who would like to follow up with you. Uh where is the best place for that? You know, is it LinkedIn? And then what's the uh what do you want them following up about if there's anything specific?
2: Yeah, um yeah, well I can be reached via LinkedIn. Uh Blanca Mayayo, it's pretty uh, straightforward my 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 name there. Um basically I'm super interested in exchanging uh experiences, conversations about, for example, how about how to work in this world as a vendor with a business or the other way around, as a business with a vendor, uh trying to, you know, to achieve this uh, the data strategy, okay, which is okay, it's, a, it's just a different flavor of the general challenge that we all are going through, right? And especially with these early stages of, of data mesh. And yeah, and, and also about I'm very super interested about how to build self-service data platforms, this um and exchange opinions about how to enable reusability, all these things that are really challenges that I think we are not uh, super ready yet. Um, Like, yeah, interoperability and and yeah, all these kind of things.
1: Good. And from uh, my point of view, from my part, uh... Pablo Tobal on LinkedIn I think that's the this is with, uh, way of reaching me and definitely open to any any discussion around uh, data in general everything from from the tech uh, to the to the stories in the trenches to discussion around what's the the new approach and the the hot new stuff Anything I'm always uh, interested in, in, in interesting chats like this one, which was super enjoyable. So definitely open to, to anyone willing to, to talk about this.
0: Okay. And we'll, we'll drop links to your LinkedIn and stuff in the show notes as per usual. So again, thank you so much, uh, Blanca and Pablo, for your time today. And thank you as well, everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guests today, Blanca Maiao, who's a product manager of data platforms, and Pablo Alvarez-Toval, who's the lead of data platforms and principal data architect at the consulting company Plain Concepts. You can find a link to their LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout. For streaming and real-time AI needs, but I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest, you know, what What are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.